just completely unwatchable. Oh, except for the punting. The punting's pretty good. stop shop for news views and overreactions to all things nfl there's three of us again and it was a surprisingly fun week of games so hey we got connor here we've got ronan hello and returning from his hiatus over in the united states it's sean butler hello how are we getting on lads how was how was uh, america yeah it was very enjoyable very interesting we did all the tourist sites went up to the top of the freedom tower went to statue of liberty we saw hamilton hamilton was good if you're into musicals, but uh, I'm not particularly into musicals. I also watched Steph Curry murder the Brooklyn Nets, which was very fun. <laughs> he's, he's seriously good at basketball. It was interesting. It was the COVID stuff was everyone wore masks and you had to use vaccine certs to be indoors anywhere. It was better regulated than London was. Sarah, my fiance, she enjoyed it thoroughly as well. So all around, I think it was very, very good. Definitely thumbs up. Very good. Bits how's all down in Cork? Uh, not too bad. Just tipping away. We had our uh, code freeze and the big project at work. So everything's lining up for December to be pretty stress-free. So yeah, I'll, I'll thinking about going home and all those kind of plans now and making sure everything's in place for that. Yeah, I'm actually down in Kerry now at the moment because we've got some work going on in the house. We've got a electrician and a plumber in and them plus the lads who are working for them. Bent. Yeah, there's not a chance that we'd be able to be tipping away in the house. So we're, we're down here till Friday and then moving back up. So I'll be back up in time for the wrestling on Saturday. So very excited for that. That'll be uh, good fun. Yeah, I suppose we'll fly into the news then because we've got quite a bit to get through. We'll start off probably in Controversy Corner. Although I'm not sure this is overly controversial. St. Louis has reached a $780 million settlement to resolve the lawsuit for the NFL and Stan Kroenke, owner of the Los Angeles, well now of Los Angeles Rams. Uh, it's alleged NFL and Kroenke broke their own relocation rules and lied during the negotiations to keep the team. Some of the new, newer fans might not be aware that the Rams weren't always the LA Rams, although they were the LA Rams previously, that they had been in St. Louis for quite a while. The city's alleged losses of $100 million per year of taxes due to the team moving out of the area. The settlement was reached as NFL and owners risked some sensitive documents coming out and communication details being made public during the trial. It's very much not something they want people to be thinking about or focusing on, because realistically, this could happen to you too. Your team could decide to up and leave if they decide that there's more money to be found elsewhere as we've seen a number of teams do yeah look it's shitty for st louis but at least they get some money out of it like we all presume because stan Kroenke is kind of known to be a like a shit right yeah like look look, like this is a situation where you know obviously this move happened and then the cities are always very annoyed about it but in this case the city had a bit more behind it like they did a lot of of their own legal research and basically found documents that asserted and found that the owners were well aware that San Kroenke was going to move the, the team no matter what happened or no matter what offer St. Louis made and they made a number of offers uh, ranging from a kind of a redo of the pre-existing stadium to a new stadium on a greenfield site according to the own NFL's rules they're not supposed to move unless you know there's a compelling reason to move or you know that the team like you know bad fate from the city and basically St. Louis City was able to put together enough of a case that the judge who was asked whether the NFL was required and the owners required to give confidential financial information and similar internal communications was like yeah you should get that because that is vital to understanding whether the NFL and the owners were colluding effectively to make this like a, a foregone conclusion and that's 
as you say, probably the big reason why this ended up getting settled out of court. Like there was a lot of fighting from Kroenke and from the NFL to prevent these documents being public during the trial. And once that happened, I think most people said it was a matter of time until a settlement was likely to happen. Now, St. Louis could have obviously pushed the envelope and they could have made an absolute clown out of the NFL and got and aired all that dirty laundry. But as part of the settlement, I believe they are required to destroy all documents uh, related to this particular <laughs> issue. Unfortunately, we're not going to get that. And, you know, it's been a bad year for fans finding out how truly corrupt and awful the NFL institutionally is under the hood with the Washington football team emails still not being available with the settlement now preventing yeah, the emails I'd from this coming up. I'd love but to know what's like the guts of a billion dollars bad. <laughs> I'd love to declare like. <laughs> that gives you an indication of how bad things were I think for the city of St. Louis like look going to court and going involved in court against the NFL is probably very expensive so I, I completely understand why they're cutting their losses but I think you know the implication for this in terms of Stan Kroenke's relationship with the rest of the owners which is already a pretty touchy relationship probably isn't going to get much better in the near future uh, there's been some back and forth about who exactly should be liable for this massive liability created by how the situation ended up playing out yeah and I, I think it's completely unsurprising as well that the NFL may have been involved in trying to get the Rams to move to LA obviously them not having an LA team which they went almost 20 years I think without having a team in yeah. LA which is a huge market and obviously the NFL were trying to fill that as quickly as possible so I'm completely unsurprised that there are questionable activities might have been undertaken to do it and I think St. Louis were always going to lose out once something like LA came up it didn't really matter what St. Louis offered yeah as as with you Con, I'm just glad they got some money out of it because they're not likely to have an NFL team anytime soon because it's not exactly a market that people want to to move in these days yeah, look, shitty, shitty situation for people in St. Louis. You know, you're you're not too far from from Kansas. You know, you're all welcome to be refugee <laughs> fans. Given we're in the great state of Missouri. Okay, crime and punishment. New Orleans wide receiver Deontay Harris is facing a three-game ban for substance abuse policy related to a DUI charge from July. And Dallas defensive tackle Tristan Hill is suspended for two games, as we'll discuss the game later on, for throwing a punch post-game. Is is this big impact stuff? Deontay Harris has been the kind of one that like kind of keeps breaking the hearts of fantasy football heads everywhere right because he's just woefully inconsistent to be fair for for the wide receiver situation in new orleans it's pretty grim so you know missing deontay harris isn't great for a team that because of the crazy wildcard situation in the nfc is certainly still live for january football yeah this is definitely an issue and i believe he is looking to appeal this so maybe he's hoping if i appeal this long enough maybe he can get pushed into next season i think the nfl has a pretty non-forgiving rule around duis uh, for a number of years now so i don't think he's likely to get out of it and look tristan hill like usually like we know some slaps and hits and punches happen during game and usually guys miss the rest of the game and don't get a suspension but you know doing it after the game obviously means a that that is you know there's no punishment during like during the actual process of of playing the game Uh, and secondarily obviously creates a bad precedent because obviously uh you know post game is when emotions might be quite high so for tristan hill like look that defensive line for dallas has probably been better than expected given you know that the names of people like tristan hill and Neville Gallimore and people like that who've been kind of uh, and even Micah Parsons playing at defensive end but yeah so it's definitely a loss but but not one that's likely to be fatal for the Dallas Cowboys. We've also seen some interesting moves so we've had Miami have picked up Philip Lindsay who was recently waived and uh, they've also got defensive tackle Andrew Billings. The Giants have decided uh, in a big shock move given how you know explosive their offense has looked they fired their offensive <laughs> coordinator Jason Garrett a lot of this just makes sense. Miami need help in that backfield. Lindsay hasn't really done a huge amount this year, but has been a quality running back beforehand, and Billing seems to be a useful piece to be able to pick up and put onto that defensive line for them. The Giants firing Garrett? Like, yeah. <laughs> makes perfect sense to me. 
Yeah, their offense is crap and isn't going anywhere. And their defense is actually quite good as well, as Fitz might talk about in the from the Philly game, that they're actually playing quite at a high level. So the fact that their offense can't score points is must be really frustrating for them. So yeah, I, I can understand them making moves, especially given that they're technically, I think they're like only a game behind in the wildcard spot. So if they're, they do get firing on offense, they could actually sneak into the playoffs as well. So certainly a move that makes sense for the Giants. Yeah, I think they put uh, Freddie Kitchens in as interim OC. Just to say that Lindsay was very involved coming off the street. He, I think he had over 10 touches. So expect mm-hmm. to see a bit more of him in the Miami backfield. Yeah, so I always thought he was a very good runner. Just how he ended up just being crowded out of some backfields. Because like, for, what, two years three years straight he ran really well for Denver and they kept adding other running packs and then having to go back to him we got some injuries to fly through so some serious kind of season ending type ones um, Buffalo cornerback Tredavious White has done his ACL and he's gone for the season Carolina running back Christian McCaffrey's ankle is uh, gone so they're going to take him out for the season again it's another injury plague year for him in Cleveland Jack Conklin has torn his patellar tendon and he's gone for the season those are with the exception of Carolina those are two kind of big impact players missing from teams that have aspirations and that's going to hit both of them where it hurts. Buffalo's defense has not really been the level that it wanted it to be but Davis White had been playing pretty well for them and Cleveland, more injuries to that line, not great. Well, just to be fair, uh, no team is dead in the uh, NFC except for perhaps that's true. Seattle and Detroit but of course without CMC we saw that an offense that was hardly inspiring to begin with completely collapsed for the rest of that game this week as I'll talk about in the dump off but yeah without Christian McCaffrey you can probably put a fork in Carolina as for Buffalo like Travis White is probably the most important defensive player in that defense, a defense that's obviously playing at a really high level for the vast majority of the season. You know, there's been a few setbacks recently, but in general, it's been playing very well. And I think, you know, they could end up giving up a lot more big plays going forward without him. He's, you know, he's an all pro, pro bowl type cornerback. You can't replace those guys in season. And Jan Conklin, like, look, it's just sad because like Cleveland, they just seem to be petering out to another lost season after, you know, all the hope that we had preseason. Obviously, we hope that they can turn it around and this isn't like another terminal decline for them but given all the evidence that we see this just is another knife in the back for, for a Cleveland team that really can't afford anymore Other injuries Minnesota running back Dalvin Cook has torn his late room so he's out for one to four weeks Patrick Peterson has COVID and will probably miss next week Debo Samuel for the San Francisco 49ers is injured his groin he's out for one to three weeks and Fred Warner their linebacker out for one or two with a hamstring injury Tennessee's AJ Brown has a chest injury he's out for a minimum of three games as he's put on IR and Kevin Byard their safety has COVID so he's probably going to miss the next week's game Las Vegas have Darren Waller to a knee injury so he's now week to week but they are hopeful that he'll be able to play and Green Bay Randall Cobb has injured his groin and no one knows exactly how severe it is but at his age pretty much anything could be a death nail so obviously big ones here are Minnesota they run through that run game quite a lot and San Francisco offense is essentially Debo Samuel. Yeah, I mean, especially in the last few weeks, it's kind of tough on the Niners. They've just gotten their season going. They've just had like two or three games in a row where they've started to play well and gotten back into the hunt. Whatever, got to the 60 now in the in the NFC and still, I mean, he's listed as a wide receiver, but he's been playing as a running back basically recently and his loss will, will, will damage them. Also, I mean, Fred Warner will, he's a big part of that defense. He hasn't quite been as good this year as he was, for example, last year, but he is, he is an explosive player 
player and he's the failed quarterback of the defense, the guy who kind of runs things. So to lose him, I mean, the Niners have just had such terrible luck with injuries over the past few seasons that this is just another struggle that they, they'll have to overcome. But, but certainly I expect them to take a step back from the, the three weeks of being very good. They'll probably take a step back and might, might drop a few games, uh, which might end up being costly in the playoff hunt. Obviously, the Tennessee injuries aren't great, but they're kind of, we're kind of expecting that they're just putting themselves into storage until the playoffs and then hoping to kind of break everyone out and, and they'll all be back to strength. The, the big test for Tennessee is if they can beat the Jags and the Texans. If they could do that, they're in the playoffs. And I just also want to give a shout out to uh, Onside Kicks, another Irish NFL podcast. I was chatting to one of the lads there in the pub on Sunday and I said I'd give him a shout out on this and then we can start a rivalry and then, you know, kind of go podcast wars. That would be fun. But with that lovely note, I suppose we'll go and have a look at the games from last week. Okay, first up we have Tampa Bay at Indianapolis, 38-31. to Playoff Leonard Fournette showed up and crushed the hopes and dreams of many fancy football players out there by taking all four of the touchdowns and 131 yards as Tampa Bay just comes back again from 14-24 to at the half. Some big moves from their defense. Brady kind of had an all right day, 226, a touchdown and interception, and Gronk got a good bit of use in this game. Yeah, like it was... I think we were texting about this game during the time and like Wentz had been putting up some very nice throws here and there and I was texting you all just going like I, I still don't trust this team Wentz will probably make a mistake he has two interceptions realistically I don't count the second one because it was a you know it was a desperation throw for the Hail Mary at the end you know it was still not great showing from him they also for some reason decided and I really don't get this just decided to not run the ball there was a period with Jonathan Taylor who as you might you know remember from the last several weeks of coverage has been incredible where I think they went something like 20 plays or 25 plays without touch the ball even though he's incredible then once they started giving the ball again they started to work again because like they blew a 10 point lead in the period where they didn't hand Taylor the ball at all yeah it was weird and their coaching staff then said that no they stand by the decision and if anything they should have passed more I I don't buy that I think they fucked up and they just don't want to accept it overall this was an impressive showing from Indianapolis in my head although there was a grim inevitability to Wentz gonna make a mistake and 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 they're not gonna be able to get it done because they do feel that kind of They've got some quality pieces, but I just don't trust them overall as a, a, a as a contender. They have problems in big games. I mean, Wentz is particularly he's he's kind of the manifestation of the of the of the Colts' problem. His his season statistically has been really good. Like he's got something like I think a three or four to one touchdown to interception ratio. He's only thrown five interceptions all season. The problem is four of those interceptions have been thrown in the two biggest games that they've played. The big game against the Titans, where the the loss basically means the division is over as a contest, and this one here, where they could have gotten a signature win over the Super Bowl champions and got kept their their amazing run going where they bounced back from three and five and were looking like a, a serious team but now they're they're kind of back in the mix and in both those situations it's been Wentz has made mistakes when the chips have been down and that has to worry the Colts because it matters less how good you are as a quarterback when you're playing bad teams on a week-to-week basis it matters if you can win big regular season games or big postseason games and I don't think Wentz has actually really proven that in his career and this Colts team looks pretty damn good their defense looks competitive to a high degree Taylor obviously is on great form of the running running back the the wide receivers look pretty good as well he is the one piece that could drag this team down and that's got to uh, affect them in in terms of this running back I mean I do think there was a bit of a problem that the Colts had here which was that they were playing against the the best 
defense, run defense in the league and one that is kind of scarily good. And I, and I think just Frank Reich got psyched out. He was like, we can't run against this team because they're so good at the run that they'll just stop us. So we have to find a way to make a passing game work. And it's only in like kind of the end of the third quarter, start of the fourth quarter, they went, okay, well, maybe we should try and put our league best running back out and, and give him the ball and see what happens. And he got like like 58 yards on, on one drive or something. So it yeah. was definitely mm. comeback, a, a yeah. very strange play from the, from the Colts' point of view. So I think it's it kind of a microcosm of the Colts' season here and the problems they're going to have. They have a lot of talent, but they don't know how to use it properly maybe. And Carson Wentz might be costly in big games. For the Bucks, yeah, Leonard Fournette has another big game. Obviously, he's ridiculously inconsistent, but when he has big games, it's good. I like how Gronk is looking. He's not quite, you know, 2011 Gronk, but he's he's not getting numbers, but he's getting the big plays. He's kind of the reliable guy that Brady can throw to when he needs a big play. And the Bucs, yeah, proved that they can have a comeback win, which they haven't really proven this year yet. So I'm still not 100% convinced the Bucs are as good as they were last year, but they're, they're looking like they're going to end up somewhere like the two or three seeds. So they'll be tough to beat once they get into the playoff mode. But definitely for the Colts, this is a team to watch to see if they actually get their shit together because there's a lot of potential here, but they're not quite realizing it yet. For the Indianapolis side, it kind of illustrates the difference between theory and practice. I understand completely, in theory, why you wouldn't run on Tampa Bay. They have a really good run defense. We know that. But they obviously, I think, schematically were selling out to stop the run as well. Like I think they wanted to prove that Jonathan Taylor won't do to us what he's done to so many teams this year. And for the first half, that was more or less working. Carson Wentz was looking pretty effective. He was particularly, uh, he was playing pretty safe as well. He was getting his tight ends involved. And yeah, he even made that fourth down conversion for a touchdown towards the end of the, of the first half. So look, I completely understand why you did it. But then Wentz had those two huge turnovers in the third quarter which basically sparked the Tampa Bay comeback like that fumble um, from Shaq Barrett you know, it's, you know, every quarterback has those, even Tom Brady has those, but when you put the hands in Carson Wentz, someone who whose pocket awareness isn't perhaps the greatest, it's a bit of an issue. And then the second one, the interception, he basically just threw it up for grabs. Now, like, to be fair, I completely understand why he did it. Like, his wide receiver had a good, like, half a <laughs> half a yard over the defensive back, but fair play to Anton Winfield Jr. He jumped up and mossed the hell out of Pittman to get that interception. But, like, in that situation where you have Jonathan Taylor, you have a slim lead at that point, you just ignore him completely like like you know there's a difference in like maybe running on first down not doing well and then you know moving on to the pass after that but to genuinely choose just not to give him any touches for what felt well yeah for about 20 plays in a row that just feels wrong that's wrong when yeah. your best player is Jonathan Taylor there's no excuse for that Frank Reich like I know you can see in your brain that oh this is really susceptible if I had like Tom Brady I could kill the hell out of this defensive uh, alignment that they're using but you have Carson Wentz he's not 2017 Carson Wentz he's a you know a lesser player prone to make mistakes play what you have because on the on the other hand Tampa Bay you know Tom Brady obviously is the greatest quarterback of all time but when playoff Lenny is there and he's running the ball well you don't go away from him you use him you pound the ball and even though you're wider you have Chris Godwin you have Mike Evans they have less than like 30 yards each doesn't matter the guy who's working just keep doing that that's the Tom Brady way that's the the winning way and you know Indianapolis could perhaps uh, learn a lesson in these big games 
Yeah, and uh, I think it's in the dump off this week, but uh, this is uh, this, this outcome has allowed a couple of Tennessee Titans fans to breathe a bit of a sigh of relief because if they yeah. had beaten Tampa, <laughs> there was a bit more of a problem on the horizon for them. Next up, Vegas at the Dallas Cowboys, 36-33 in overtime. This was sloppy as all hell from Dallas. <laughs> it was 14 penalties for 166 yards, and then in the overtime, they had... The cornerback Brown just constantly getting flagged for PIs. Carr had a good day, 394 yards and a touchdown. Renfro over 100 yards and Deshaun Jackson getting into the mix uh, with over 100 yards and a touchdown. The, the issue being, as we mentioned, Waller's got an injury and he was out early. But yeah, they were not converting at the rate that they'd want to be converting in the red zone there. Dak had an okay game again, 375 and two touchdowns. But there was flags, there was drops, there was mistakes, there was injuries. Like They needed a special teams touchdown from Pollard to be able to get into the overtime situation. It was sloppier than you'd like it to be, and I get that they are still kind of not 100% back health-wise. And like There's question marks, even in this game, I think, over like will they just rest Ezekiel Elliott for a few weeks to make sure he's 100% for the playoffs and everything. This is, what, three losses in the AFC West, isn't it? And some of those are against teams that you wouldn't have expected them to be dropping games to, particularly not in the fashion that they were. If I'm Dallas, I'm look, I'm happy it's not going to kill me for getting my division one because the Philly also kind of not looking the best and losing to the Giants. But I'm starting to worry about what our ceiling is in the playoffs. To be fair to Dallas, they were missing C.D. Lamb. They were missing Amari Cooper. Actually, Amari Cooper might even miss this week again with, with COVID because he still has symptoms. But you know, you're missing your top two playmakers. They've had struggles on the ground. They didn't quite get the the run game going in this game, like about three yards of carry. So the things that have made them dominant at times this year just weren't going here. But you think that if you get those guys back, if Zeke Elliott can get healthy again, to give him some time off, though apparently uh, Jerry Jones is saying, no, we're going to run him even more against New Orleans this week, um, which is just, I don't know, uh, weird. But basically, if they can get those sorted, then I definitely think that their offense can get back to the one that we expect. And the defense, look, this was a bad day for the defense, but, you know, they've genuinely been more more or less improved under Dan Quinn compared to where they were last year, for example. They haven't had as many of these stupid shootout games as they had to start last year. They, they've kind of solidified. So I'm not going to dismiss that, that Dallas don't have concerns. The loss against Denver was awful. This is a bad loss here as well. But uh, I think they have enough certainty to be the favorite for obvious reasons in the NFC East and to be a genuine Super Bowl contender in the NFC in my opinion because the, the top of the NFC you know they all have some questions to some extent I think in this game the big thing for them is that the mistakes were just out of control they were obviously returning the ball over earlier they had you know 166 yards in flags which you know <laughs> I think that the Vegas Raiders are probably thankful that they had that because they had over 100 yards of flags as well that the referees in this game seemed to be pretty I don't know like they, they got up on the wrong side of the bed this morning, this morning and they just decided to actually enforce of course they were angry <laughs> they enforced the rules to a T like what's that thing what's that kind of thing where people don't strike but they work to the rules oh, work yeah. to rule yeah work to rule they were up to that to, they felt like this game and like look like for Brown the, the defensive back Anthony Brown the defensive back for Dallas to get four PIs in the same game um, he might be in like our most flags like winner uh, just based on this game alone so for Dallas like look it's just everything went wrong like the Denver game but I think you know at least they managed to come back from what was a terrible first half and they kept the competitive and Dak looked really good towards the back end of with the backups like said Wilson and stuff so I, I'm, I'm not going to 
get too worried yet. On the other hand, look, Vegas, I think they were desperate for a win. And even though it wasn't the cleanest performance, um, I think they'll just be happy to get out of here and, and stay competitive in the AFC uh, in the AFC West and slash wildcard hunt. I think, you know, the big thing for them is that, you know, the game, they've really struggled to make explosive plays in recent weeks, obviously with the loss of Henry Ruggs. And I think the fact that Deshaun Jackson showed up and had those big cameos, uh, the big touchdown earlier on and a couple of other big catches, I think that's promising so that they can at least somewhat replace that Ruggs role in the offense and give the explosive plays that mean that the run game can get going um, at least to some extent and I think you know the fact that Darren Waller went out early in this game and Hunter Renfro stepped in as kind of the go-to you know trusted receiver and looked really good in that role is obviously a great sign so I think for Vegas like uh, it's not a performance that makes it go oh yeah they're back but it's a performance that at least steadies the ship gets them back on track and we'll see if they can build on this and and become relevant again in that playoff hunt uh, I think the questions we have about them haven't gone away they got lucky obviously here with a lot of things going their way but you know for a team that was spiraling a win is a win yeah no no i mean not much to add uh, on top of fizzle obviously i think the raiders we need to give them credit i think they're probably a better team than, than they've looked at the last few weeks especially Derek carr he's having a surprisingly good season and surprisingly good kind of long throws as well more over 20 yard throws than anyone else this year which was the importance of jackson but basically the raiders are when Derek carr plays well the raiders win and from the dallas side yeah i mean Mike McCarthy can blame penalties all he wants, but there are deeper problems with his team. There are question marks over the defense, and the offense is nowhere near as effective without uh, Mari Cooper and with the injuries that Zeke has. So, yeah, both these teams are, are imperfect, but I'd almost be inclined to think the Raiders are the more interesting team going forward. The Cowboys have a, have a, a lot of problems seem to be getting exposed more and more as, as time goes on, um, whereas the Raiders are, are looking like they're solving their problems. And that is a big question with the Cowboys, is does Mike McCarthy have the ability to actually problem-solve He's given a, a talented team. Can he, can he solve the problems that are set up uh, over the course uh, of the year? Next up, Rams at Green Bay, 28-36. to 36. Green Bay kind of grind down the Rams as they kind of destroy time of possession, almost 2-1. to one. Slow, methodical tries. Aaron Rodgers having a great day, over 300 yards and two touchdowns. Hitting a nice mix of kind of slowly, slowly and the big deep shots. Adams went over 100, Cobb nearly 100 and a touchdown, and Dylan 90 and a touchdown. It was a great performance from the Green Bay side and their defense looked good and stuff as well. From the Rams side, this was kind of what the downside worry would be on Stafford, that this was sloppy. He was under pressure and making bad decisions. 300 yards and three touchdowns, but an interception and a fumble, like a pick six. It was just not very good. Like, he he kind of... Look, he's better than he was at the Lions, but there is something to the fact that we all called him Stat Padford, right? That he had these deep bombs that made it look like he did an okay job and that it was a closer game than it was, and it wasn't. And, like, this is a Rams team that are on a bit of a losing streak, aren't getting the performances out of their superstar players that you'd want to be able to, you know, to, to build a team around your five or six superstars, you need them to be playing at a kind of a standout level and none of them did in this game we didn't get much from Donald they've been getting nothing out of Von Miller since they traded for him really like it was a very soft game from a team that's meant to be tough defense and kind of you know uh, exciting offense the, the score flatters the Rams to, to a certain extent um, a lot of their points were in uh 
garbage time effectively like the key ga- play in this game in this game was the interception the pick six by Rasul Douglas uh, as Stafford just kind of threw it up and, and just got a, a thought on that particular play it was like 36 to 17 at that point and you know the Rams got it to a one score game but they uh, they never really looked in it and you know after that point you always felt that if it had got closer Green Bay had that extra gear there was one particular play where like they had just been running the ball with AJ Dillon kind of grinding out you know two to three yards per play and then on a long third down like when the game was more or less out of hand and you know you thought they'd just run again Rodgers decided to just knife a you know third down conversion to Devontae Adams uh, uh, quickly so that just kind of felt like look if Green Bay needed to put up the gear uh, up the gears again they could have done this they dominated this game let's be honest you know they kind of showed that they are a complete offense like their run game didn't have the most impressive statistics about three yards to carry but that's you know we laid down a lot by their like late game kind of just throwing into eight man boxes type situation but what you saw from Aaron Rodgers Rodgers was just another imperious performance where he was able to find guys what felt like at will. Um, obviously, Devontae Adams was the big uh, recipient, uh, but Randall Cobb was also looking pretty good in this game. I think he's going to be a bit of a loss just in those kind of third down situations in particular. He's just been, you know, he hasn't been amazing. He's not going to blow a Pro Bowl votes or anything, but he's just been a nice compliment to De- Devontae Adams uh, as someone you can rely on, unlike people like, like MVS who have big plays, but, you know, just don't have that reliability that he likes. And, you know, I think there was, a, there was a play earlier on with MVS that he got really annoyed because he, he wasn't doing his job correctly. Uh, so, yeah, I think they overall, like Aaron Rodgers, he's, he's apparently hurt, but doesn't seem to make any difference for him. And I think if you're an NFC contender, you certainly are keeping an eye on Green Bay as probably the, the biggest threat on that side. On the other hand, look, the Rams, we, we've talked about being frauds and soft before, and this felt like another fraud soft performance because I think, you know, whatever, well, the only way they kept into this game is because they had a couple of deep touchdowns here. Um, one from Van Jefferson, and was still relevant, one to OBJ when, when the game was out of hand. And those really do make the, 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 the stat line for Matt Stafford look a lot better than actually was. He spent most of his time completely under pressure from Rashawn Gary uh, and the other defensive ends. Uh, he just seemed to be... It, discommoded and he is currently injured there was a report coming out that he's basically dealing with back issues and and other ailments so he's obviously not playing at his uh at his peak right now he's been playing her for multiple years it feels like at this point but when the chips are down and they're playing a genuine defense and get pressure on him you can tell he turns the ball over he puts them over and you're just kind of going like look at this team it looks great against the lessers in the leagues it racks up the scores and it has the opportunity to make a huge explosive plays with cooper cup and van jefferson and and now obj but on a play-by-play basis on a drive-by-drive basis uh, they can be bullied off the field they can be put off and yeah I don't think they're, they're a genuine contender against uh, the Arizona Cardinals in the NFC West based on what we're seeing right now and perhaps I would actually take San Francisco even at this point because they have a bit more bite to them. Next up we have Cleveland at Baltimore 10-16. to This was terrible <laughs> just to be frank pretty pretty bad. Mistakes all over the shop if I said to you you're a Cleveland Browns coach, player, whatever, and I said, you know what, you're going to go in there and you're going to intercept Lamar four times, you'd be like, great, perfect. And he said, he only scores one touchdown. Oh, fantastic. So we win the game. No, that is not what happened here. An incredible defensive performance from Cleveland. Four interceptions, two sacks, two sacks for loss, only allowing about 300 yards, only allowing like one touchdown through the air for Lamar. And nope, still, still couldn't do it because the offense in Cleveland is just horrendously broken at the moment. Baker is injured. I imagine he has about 12 injuries at this point. He's still 247 yards, a touchdown, an interception, but like he's not the player he was. They didn't get their run game going at all, really. It was ridiculous. You have four turnovers. You have short fields. You come away with three points from four interceptions. Like, 
you can't you, you can't do that and that defense is the only thing that kept them in this game because they were able to shut down a lot of what Baltimore was trying to do Lamar needs to stop passing to Andrews all the time <laughs> he needs to find some other option there all all this is doing is making me more and more certain that the Cincinnati Bengals are the best team in the AFC North uh, well, I don't know if I'd go that far. I mean, the Bengals have their own problems with, you know, turning up every week. I mean, the thing about the Ravens is they're not looking impressive, but they are winning games. They are all, always seem to be able to find a way to win every game that they're in, even though they never seem to play well. It's it's so hard to think that this team is the statistically the best team in the AFC, and yet it's hard to think of, aside from that Chargers game, of a signature performance where they really played like the best team in the AFC. And there's nothing really special about them. Their offense is pretty predictable, but the challenge is can you find a way to stop it? Their non-Lamar running game seems to be just power running through the middle. Lamar just throws to Mark Andrews all the time. He relies on his just pure skill to just be unplayable. There was some interesting analysis by Chris Collins with his game of all the times Clowney got within like half a second of sacking Lamar but but didn't actually pull it off and that kind of feels like the Ravens season they're they're always just half a second away from disaster but they always find a way to get it done so I think they're going to keep racking up the wins and they probably will end up the number one seed in the AFC even though they don't feel like a number one seed the more I see of these other AFC teams the more I'm beginning to think the Chiefs might actually be the best team in the AFC despite the fact that they're you know whatever, the number four seed. In terms of the Browns, I mean, this is the real question, is what has happened to this season for them? If you're a, a Browns defensive player, you must be so incredibly frustrated. You play lights out every single week. You hold elite defenses to, to less than 20 points every single week, and yet you're 6-6. Six and six. Yet your season is basically over because now you have to win four of your last five games just to make the playoffs. I mean, it's it just must be it must be really hard to be on the defensive side of this team and and to be upbeat about how things are going. And the problem is the offense. The problem is Baker's injuries, is his lack of dynamism. He's he's just productivity has just plummeted this year. And the problem is the teams are now reacting to that. That basically because of Baker's limitations in this game, the Ravens just completely packed the box. And like eight players in, in the box in almost every play, which could just destroyed the run game and therefore meant that the Browns had no offense whatsoever. That the Browns essentially have been figured out because they don't have an option when you focus entirely uh, on the run game. I'm beginning to wonder, and this is probably something they should have done three or four weeks ago, maybe they should have just sat Baker for three or four weeks and given Case Keenum a run in. Because Keenum's not that much worse than Baker. I mean, Baker is a, Particularly you know, not this injured bit Baker. more reliable. Yeah, he's a, he, Baker in general is a bit more reliable, a little bit more about him. But Case Keenum is a solid QB. You could have put him in there. They could have maybe won two or three games that they've they've lost and now be in the hunt for possibly even the number one seed. Um, but instead, they're not because now they're seasoned. They go and buy now and hopefully things get healed up a bit. But then they basically have to beat everybody because yeah, 9-8 is not going to win you, not going to get you into the playoffs in the AFC. They're going to need at least 10-7, and seven, which is four wins out of five. And uh, it's going to be very hard to do that because they have to play the Ravens again. They have to play the Bengals again, I, I believe. They've got pretty tough slate uh, down the way. So the Brown season is probably on the verge of being over, which is sad because it's a really talented team that at their best have looked like possibly the best team in the NFL when they're playing at their absolute peak, but not to be this year. And and being a Browns fan, God, it must be so hard to be a Browns fan. Even when your team is good, they're still bad. Next up, Minnesota at San Francisco, 26-34. to 34. Uh, San Francisco just ran all over Minnesota with Mitchell going for, going for 133 and a touchdown. Yeah, like they had... 
again, this seems to be the key to it. Just have basically two to one time of possession and you're a little bit more likely to win. Jimmy G, 230 yards, such an interception. Stays relatively clean after the early mistake, but doesn't really do anything overly spectacular. Cousins, 238 for two touchdowns and an interception. Yeah, they just didn't really have much to support. The running game was sub four yards a carry. There's a bad pick. But they did have chances to win in this game in very traditional Minnesota fashion. They had the chances and they blew them. Their final two drives turned over on downs on it. And now, obviously, with Cook injury, um, it's going to be an issue for them moving forward about how they're going to be able to win other games because we can see that whenever the run game isn't there, it does cause issues for the team. I'm still not fully convinced of this San Francisco team either, but you can see that they're doing a decent job of coaching around limitations on the roster and stuff like that the Devo Samuel injury is going to hurt them hurt them in future games though because he is such an intrinsic part of everything that they do like he's essentially was a wide receiver that they're now just using as a running back as well like he, he, he has been amazing I will set up front like and yeah as a dual threat weapon He's been obviously a revelation at receiver all year. Take those kind of uh, short passes from Jimmy G and turning them into gold. And then he was doing it from the backfield because they've, they've been dealing with injuries. Elijah Mitchell um, is dealing with a finger injury. He played in this game and he didn't look too affected by it. But they've mixed Debo in and he's been very effective in San Francisco. Like, look, I don't think that they're the best team. They're not like the Super Bowl uh, team that they, they had a few years ago. But I think if you look at them and compare them to the other NFC wildcard contenders, you see at least a philosophy. And a plan that works more often than not. And you know, ironically, of course, they're playing a team in Minnesota who basically have the exact same plan, which is you know, run the ball really well with the zone read offensive line uh, action, make that really effective, and then you know, use uh, that to create stress in the defense to create explosive plays, um, which they had a few of in this game. Brandon Ayuk nearly had 100 yards in this game. Debo Samuel had those big uh, run plays uh, going out towards the edge, and you know, once Elijah. Mitchell is going and he's been obviously really good for San Francisco when he's been playing this year they look like a completely different team and I think you know look Jimmy G's had a couple of performances that were all right he hasn't been terrible by any stretch and there are now rumors that he'll be starting potentially in 2022 as well or certainly they're considering it but this is a run first team that's how it always has been under the Shanahan's both you know Kyle and his father and it's a template that works but for look for Minnesota typically and I'm sure Sean would agree you know just when you you get into them and they beat Green Bay and you're kind of like okay Minnesota and Kirk Cousins are actually showing that they've they, they've left, left the past behind and they've taken that step up and they're now going to be a really dynamic uh, explosive offense he lays a, a relative egg here 238 two touchdowns but that awful interception that ended up really uh, killing the momentum that they had here uh, and of course you can't it's hard not to draw the conclusion that the rush game falters and Cook was injured in this game and and he, he they weren't doing well even when Cook was was healthy early in the game and go you know is, are they a bit of a paper tiger? And of course, you know, I've never argued that they're not a paper tiger. I've always been like, they'll make the playoffs and they get knocked out of the playoffs in the first round. But, you know, they're going to have to win a few more games against teams like San Francisco if they're going to make that happen. So, yeah, I think the fact that, you know, emblematic of Minnesota as, as, as a team is just those final three drives, like fumble, loss and downs, loss and downs. They had plenty of opportunities to, to have made a comeback here, to win this game. Uh, and they were given a free one when San Francisco missed a field goal on their final drive uh, and they couldn't take advantage of it. And that just felt much more appropriate and what the Minnesota Vikings are compared to the win that they had against Green Bay where we thought they might have turned a corner. Sean, do you want to talk about Minnesota at all? 
No. (laughs) One second. I don't want to spend one second on them. Perfect. Next up, Tennessee at New England, 13 to 36. This is a game that at halftime you would not have been able to call that this would have been the final score in it. New England pulled away entirely in the second half, and the Tennessee team just started to stumble from mistake to mistake. It was weird. It was almost at times like watching a college football game because of like big plays and then dumb mistakes. Like, you know, oh, I'm going to gain 65 yards on a draw play but I'm also going to fumble the ball and turn it over. New England's defense looked great interception so you force fumbles two sacks and when Mac Jones who had a decent enough day 310 two touchdowns uh, didn't actually have to do all that much he had a couple of very nice plays here he also had a couple of like just really silly ones like he missed a wide open touchdown pass to the tight end and things like that but it worked overall pretty well Myers went for 98 born two touchdowns and 60 yards and the incredibly old looking every time I see him on a big screen it just reinforces how old Folk actually looks he went 5 of 6 in that Tannehill did nothing because they didn't trust him to do anything and rightly so he was less than 100 yards of touchdown and interception they had an incredible amount of yardage on the ground but very little production out of the end of it i think they had like 300 yards total on the ground or something and (laughs) three fumbles and not converting it in like new england did a great job they schemed very well against it it was interesting to see how much they were selling out to stop the pass game from happening because you could see just large chunk plays happening on the ground and them just not worrying about it knowing that the collection of running backs that they have here uh, in Tennessee at the moment aren't really that much of a threat that you just force them to make mistakes just start punching balls because these guys are not really starting caliber running backs I'm not going to spend too much time talking about the Titans Um, (laughs) that's why I got it in there beforehand I thought it was a safer (laughs) bet that I covered that part it's a really weird position for a team to be 8-4 and four and to no one to be really convinced that they're going to do much. I mean, they're fine. Their defense is a lot better than it was last year. Their running game, they, they had, I mean, Hilliard had a, a, a decent game and I think they had another guy go over 100 yards as well. So it was a, a pretty okay run game and the passing game started very well. I mean, Tannehill was 8 for 8 at the start, but they really missed Henry's influence, I thought, in the second half, because the second half is when Derrick Henry kind of takes over games, and it's when all the stuff that they set up starts to pay off in terms of the long runs, but they didn't have that in this game. So as a result, the second half just didn't really happen for the Titans whatsoever. I mean, they're probably going to win their division, so they'll get at least one home playoff game, but without Henry, it's very hard to see how this team is actually going to go very far. In terms of the Patriots, I mean... I don't know what the ceiling for this team is. This is just incredible. If you told me back when they were one and three and and were had been beaten by the Saints and were struggling to beat the Texans that they were, you know, basically the number would end up being the number two seed in the in the AFC by week twelve, I would uh, I would have told you to go back to the insane asylum. It's it's just incredible what this team has done. I mean. When Belichick had got those two big tight ends in free agency, people thought, is he trying to recreate the 2011 Pats? No, he's trying to create the 2001 Pats, and it's working. It's it's a rookie <laughs> quarterback who you, you don't trust, but who isn't going to make mistakes. It's a lot of running. It's a defense that's crazy good. It's a hell of a lot of field goals, and it's just beautiful to watch. This is a team coming into itself right at the right time and looking like they could make a run if everything holds together. The defense is just playing an incredibly high level aside from the one big mistake which was that Hilliard uh, touchdown where they completely misjudged the the draw play they played almost perfect I mean it's more turnovers than containment but I mean that's the modern NFL right you can't just hold teams down you've got to pick them off you got to make make them make mistakes so that's really good to see and the the offense is coming into itself as well I mean it doesn't have the red zone execution yet it's still reliant on getting to like the the 15 yard line and then having Nick 
Pope kick a field goal. But there's it's starting to come together slightly. You can see Matt Jones is being let off the leash just a little bit. He's running audibles now, which he wasn't doing four or five weeks ago. And obviously, Balotelli can now trust him to do that. The free agents are starting to come into themselves. Bourne, Smith and Henry are starting to prove why they were given the big contracts. The coaching is at a really high level. The second half adjustments here were were really uh, impressive in terms of changing the focus of the running on, into outside lanes, uh, trying to trap Tannehill's passing more in the defense. They went from 16 to 13 in the first half to 20 to 0 in the second half. It just kind of shows how dominant they were. I don't want to get too excited. I, I This team is still very flawed and... We won't really know how good they are until they've played the Bills twice, until they've played the Colts. But I'm excited in a way that I did not expect that I would be. And I'm just loving watching a team that I that I don't know how good they are. The problem is, I've talked about this before, the problem with the Pats enjoying them being good was that you just knew that Brady was going to get things done or you knew they'd end up winning 12 games and making the AFC Championship game. And anything less than that always felt like a failure. Whereas this team, I have no idea. This team could finish 8-9 and nine, or this team could get, end up in the Super Bowl and and, I've, and either one would feel justified. And I'm just in, loving the journey of watching this team come together. And they, they're playing for each other and there's a great camaraderie in the, in the locker room apparently. So it's just really fun to watch it. And I, I'm going to enjoy the rest of the season watching this new Pats uh, do their stuff. Very exciting times. And yeah, as you said, a tough kind of run coming up for them with Bills, Colts, Bills in the next three weeks. So that's going to be kind of the deciding factor on, on how the rest of the season goes. And for Tennessee, look, as we said, we're just basically limping to the playoffs, get Derrick Henry back, get all their wide receivers back and hope that hope that something re-sparks because at the moment that team is going nowhere. And on that beautiful, uplifting note, we're going to hand off our, I suppose, as we said, pass to, to, to Ronan for the dump-off. <laughs> That's it, that's it. Yes, so welcome to this this week's dump-off. First up, Pittsburgh at Cincinnati. Uh, Nearly made our main reviews, but this is basically a rerun of the last time these two teams met uh, when Cincinnati absolutely beat the crap out of Pittsburgh, and I think we all love to see that they did it once again. 10-41 win for Cincinnati. Um, They've obviously swept the series now with Pittsburgh, and this time they did it with Joe Mixon, who's been really catching fire in recent weeks. 165 yards, two touchdowns. He basically was able to trample all over the Pittsburgh defense and this is the Pittsburgh defense with its stars back Burrow like you know he was secondary again because Mixon's getting so hot recently um, he made a, another like mistake with interception but overall looks solid and he managed to find Higgins for over 100 yards as uh, to get a spark there uh, Jamar Chase got a little bit under underground for now but uh, I'm sure he'll be back for the playoffs if they make it but the real star for Cincinnati beyond Joe Mixon was of course with their defense three turnovers two sacks uh, three tackles for a loss around 300 yards allowed in total much of that in guard time and they just feasted on the you know walking corpse that is Big Ben who had the three turnovers he had one touchdown 265 so you know it doesn't look as bad as it actually felt like when you were watching it on the screen and he just that key that pick six he threw early on was just a massive dagger for whatever hope Pittsburgh fans had at that point because this was a, just a win from end to end by Cincinnati. I think for Pittsburgh the big worry for them in terms of staying at least somewhat playoff relevant is that Harris has been bottled up in recent weeks. He's been slowed down only at 23 rushing yards in this game. So you know based on what we saw here uh, I wouldn't disagree that maybe Cincinnati are the class of the AFC North and perhaps even more. Next up Chargers at Denver 13 to 28. You know, where, where have we seen this before? The, the Chargers disappointing and failing to capitalize on, on looking good for a week. Yep happened again and Denver's defense which you know has had some poor games but has some had really impressive games thinking back to say the Dallas game had one of their big big games they had two interceptions three sacks five tackles for loss and they hit Justin Herbert 10 times in total and um, their secondary 
is truly elite. Like they got a good player in Patrick Sertain. We'll, we'll, we could ask questions about whether they'd be better off with a quarterback, but that guy can play and they got a really good secondary and the rest of their defense looked pretty good. Just Herbert had another one of those really iffy days. He had two touchdowns, but also two interceptions. He He's just able to make plays that no other quarterback is possible to potentially make, a bit, a bit like Pat Mahomes, but he's just mixing in with a lot of poor plays and kind of things not really working. And, you know, this Joe Lombardi scheme that they've brought in, it just seems to not be gelling for me it feels like all year like this offense i feel like has so much upside has so much potential could be blowing the doors of teams and yet just every week feels except for like a couple of exceptions like it's way underperforming what it should be with herbert at quarterback with austin eckler in the backfield with uh with keenan Allen and mike williams and you know look to be fair there was no run game in this in this week denver did a good job of shutting that down with eckler but overall just another frustrating day for the chargers and look their their defense didn't really do much uh, against the run like uh, the two-headed rush game of, uh, of of Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams had over nearly 137 yards. They had a touchdown for Javante Williams. So that was kind of the engine of the Denver offense. And look, Teddy Bridgewater, he didn't make any mistakes. That's the big thing. He had only 129 yards, but he had the touchdown. He was clean. And they had a brief interlude where Locke played in this game because Bridgewater got knocked out uh, in the middle of the game. Lock him in through a pick. I think, you know, whatever you think of Denny Bridgewater, he is better than Drew Locke and better than the alternatives that are out there. So, you know, they're riding this out for the rest of the year, but this feels like a, a Ferrari that just needs the right uh, quarterback, the right driver to really make Denver sing. Next up, Philly at the Giants, 7-13. to The hype train for Philly went off the rails because they decided to stop run for the first half for no good reason whatsoever. Like, we, we, we thought you had learned this lesson, Philly, and yet, uh, for the first half of this game, they just stubbornly decided they're not going to run the ball like admittedly like the Giants front is very good and they were stopping them but you know what they decided to do then was just rely on Jalen Hurts to pass the ball more and then he managed to throw three picks in this game truly you know putting them in a huge hole that for an offense that you know wants to run the ball is obviously even more damaging it's not like the Giants took full advantage of it they obviously only had 13 points in this game they, they had like a 7 point 7 to 0 lead for most of this game but yeah just those those three interceptions the turnover from from Boston Scott you know against a good defense fair enough but you know don't do things that put you in a hole if they just run the ball more I think they still would have won this game uh, because the Giants offense is still a complete you know no show look Danny Dimes didn't turn the ball over that's thumbs up they were obviously playing incredibly conservative there was a number of times that he basically just chose to scramble uh, take the safe yards rather than making the explosive plays and the, the big place they tried to get the goal and stuff none of them seemed to come off so in the uh, post Garrett world uh, the Freddie Kitchens world it doesn't really seem that the problem has changed because the problem is probably just that Danny Dimes is not a good quarterback you know unlike Philly where I could see a vision for where they are as a run first team and with Jalen Hurts as a dual track quarterback I don't see any of that for the Giants right now. Next up, Chicago at Detroit, the uh, one of the Thanksgiving games, uh, 16 to 14. Chicago won uh, with a walk-off field goal um, after having an eight and a half minute drive to, to, to kind of win the battle of the mediocre team and the mediocre offense versus the terrible offense. Um, like Dalton was mostly solid. You could definitely tell that he he, he makes the 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 Nagy system work uh, kind of more consistently and he was solid outside of that red zone where he threw a pick that was very unfortunate but otherwise solid Dalton-esque it it's okay it works uh, it's not something you want to really tune into any given week but Darnell Mooney's been really good uh, for the last month or so he's been a revelation for them at wide receiver as Alan Robinson continues to be hurt and unused so that's a, at least something to build around for the future in that Chicago offense going forward but like you know their defense 
or Chicago didn't make most of an impression, but that's mainly because Detroit Lions were playing an incredibly conservative dink and duck offense like Goff had 171 and two touchdowns but basically they had two good drives where they got touchdowns every other drive was an unmitigatable unwatchable disaster either because they would choose to run on like thirds and seventh and eighth nine or they would pick up like 20 flags and end up in like uh, third and 33s third and 34s and of course they would run in that situation well that's at least a bit more understandable given how hopeless it is but like you know they have a decent run game um, when Jamal Williams had to come in for, for uh, DeAndre Swift who, who got hurt in this game which obviously is a huge step back for them but he was solid but Campbell is playing incredibly safe more that he just doesn't want to lose but in this play you know on the final drive of Chicago they were giving huge cushions to the wide receivers and you know Dalton you know he's more than happy to take that maybe he was planning for a fields offense where, where he doesn't take those solid plays but with Dalton he was happy to take those easy yards and set up that winning field goal but the flags were awful the negative plays were awful just very very bad overall from Detroit they're barely watchable uh, even though they were they were actually competitive in this game next up Seattle at Washington 15 to 17 like Russell Wilson he was unable to convert on the two-point conversion that would have made it a tie game and and maybe have created a let's be honest completely undeserved comeback because basically he and the rest of the offense were missing in action for basically what felt like the, the entire game between their first touchdown which was in the first quarter and the touchdown at the end uh, where, where, where they tried to come back just very pedestrian very very difficult to watch and look Wilson is probably still playing hurt and um, he couldn't really find DK Metcalf in this game and the one time he did go to DK Metcalf and um, Freddie Swain the other wide receiver was completely open so his decision making is off he's probably health wise not where he needs to be and the whole thing just is falling apart uh, before our eyes like it's like the, the, the last like month or two feels like karma for all those close wins that Seattle have won over the last decade or so as they lose all these close games in excruciating awful fashion where they don't deserve to win they're awful to watch and they also lose the game just completely unwatchable oh except for the punting the punting's pretty good Heineke on the other hand for Washington is really growing into uh, someone who's quite interesting to watch he still had a few like you know if he plays here if it's magic type plays here but he had a mostly pretty mature performance he was took what the defense was giving him and you know he had a few nice passes to JD McKissick in particular at uh, the stretch of this game to kind of to keep them uh, like uh, their noses ahead of the Seattle Seahawks and you know I think he's definitely been helped by the fact that over the last month uh, since the bye Antonio Gibson seems to be heating up every week over 100, nearly 150 yards in this game if you have the run game going well if you have Heineke you know avoiding mistakes and continue to make big plays when he's needed and with the defense continuing to look pretty good even though the fact that they were missing Montez Sweat and Chase Young I think Sweat will be back but Young's obviously out for the season then Washington certainly have a chance of you know replicating the kind of comeback they had last year and sneak into the playoffs they're number seven seed right now at five and six so you know they're in pole position technically at the moment uh, and they got uh, Logan Thomas back who definitely made a difference for the offense as well so things looking up for Washington for Seattle uh no next up Buffalo at New Orleans the other Thanksgiving game Buffalo just dominated injury depleted New Orleans they they were missing Kamara they were missing Ingram they're obviously playing with a kind of ragtag bunch of uh, wide receivers in the first place and yeah it was a pretty easy game for for Buffalo as like Josh Allen had one of his better games he had two picks but he had four touchdowns to, 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 to compensate 260 yards he had 43 on the ground as well he, he's busy poor in the fourth half of this game uh, but in the second half he adjusted and managed to slice and dice a, a defense in New Orleans that we, we think is pretty good albeit being put in a big hole by the fact that their offense wasn't doing anything and Diggs was the favorite receiver again good to see him back in form and Sibian was basically unable to do anything for this game 
game, uh, 163 yards. He had one touchdown, but also a pick. And the run game did nothing with uh, Tony Jones uh, running back because of the, all the injuries. Yeah, overall, the Buffalo defense gets back in form uh, after what's been a, a few tougher performances in recent weeks. But obviously, this is incredibly limited New Orleans due to injury, so uh, I wouldn't read too much into this. Carolina Miami, 10 to 33. Miami's defense wins the game. Basically, they had three interceptions, five sacks, seven tackles for a loss, 11 QB hits, and they had less than 200 yards allowed. As you know, they basically beat up Carolina's offense so much that they put. Cam back on the bench. He had less than 100 yards. He had two picks. Uh, he had a touchdown. But like to be fair, their backup PJ Walker also drew a pick. So things aren't going to get much better because um, CMC is now gone. And, and I don't know. I think Carolina are going to be pretty depressing to watch for the rest of the year. On the other hand, Miami's offense is tidy with Tua, um, and he found Waddle here for a big performance, 137 yards, the touchdown. And he had the Waddle Waddle for the touchdown, where he pretended to be a penguin, which was pretty neat. But the the red zone offense is really weird. They still give a lot of direct snaps to Miles Gaskin and to other players and they don't seem to like use two of there he seemed fine in red zone this game but uh yeah they just seem to be weird because their run game is so ineffective they just seem to want to manufacture touches uh, we'll see if Lindsay getting more touches uh, changes that and they're more willing to trust that and finally two 21 14 uh, nothing games first up atlanta jacksonville atlanta winning the 21 14 in this case cordell patterson came back he had two touchdowns over 100 yards and he basically carried the atlanta offense to a mediocre performance uh, against the uh, jacksonville team who are let's be frank pathetic they stopped kyle pitt I suppose, and they were triple covering him, but hey, Cordell Patterson's better than Kyle Pitts. Uh, who knew? So yeah, Atlanta, you look, Matt Ryan didn't do much in this game, but Cordell Patterson was enough, and the defense kind of kept things difficult for Lawrence. It wasn't his worst performance, it's probably better than his last couple of weeks, but still not very inspiring. 220 yards, a touchdown, an interception, but you know, they had J Rob running it a bit better uh, at running back, so it wasn't as bad as recently, but you know, the, the, the limited stocks they had of weapons like Jamal Agnew and Dan Arnold, these guys are now gone for the season, um, so I don't know where they're going to get anything going and the big question of whether Urban Meyer will be around next year it has to still be there with the way Lawrence has stagnated this year. And finally, the Jets at Houston, 21-14 in favour of the Jets. Zach Wilson, he was very poor to start this game, but he found his feet and he finally got going a little bit. He had a pick, 150 yards, but overall the run game was what won the game. Uh, they had over 150 yards, 4.6 of carry, hardly spectacular, but you know adequate to kind of rack up the yards in the second half because their defence was dominating the second half. They didn't allow a single point from uh, Tyrod uh, and the rest in the second half truly you know the, the, the Houston Texans showed by the one of the worst teams in the league with that performance I don't know why he disappeared in the second half I don't know like the Jets have a pretty good defensive front but it just felt like for whatever reason Houston just gave up to be fair the highlight for the Jets was actually in the first half where there was a tipped uh, defensive tackle interception for Frank Myers, which is a bit fun but uh, overall just not a very interesting game just one where yeah both these teams could probably lose or win in any given week against each other and this time it just happened to come up for the Jets uh, but the Jets just still look worse at Zach Wilson, but uh, hey, if he keeps getting wins, you can't really not play the guy. Uh, so that's a dump off for week 12. Talk to you next week. Choo choo. Let's have a look at next week's games. Okay, we'll start Thursday night football. Dallas at New Orleans. We've gone for Dallas across the board here. New Orleans are expected to have Taysom Hill in. Mike McCarthy is out with COVID. Dallas have been on the slide recently, but, you know, the offense has been okay. I don't necessarily see McCarthy being on the sidelines as a negative, given that he's fucking terrible at running game scripts (laughs) and managing the clock. So that can only be an improvement. But New Orleans with Taysom under center is a little bit of a different beast. They do have good coaching and they are at home, which generally tends to favor a lot more on a Thursday night football game. 
Yeah, I think it's interesting that uh, I believe Dan Quinn will be the uh, head coach on the sideline, obviously. I think there was a little bit of a, a melodrama, because of course there always is with the Cowboys, about whether it would be Dan Quinn, obviously the experienced hand, former head coach, or give it to the wunderkind, the <laughs> the anointed one, uh, if you listen to certain people, Kellen. of Kellen Moore, the OC. But they've gone with the safe option, Mike McCarthy, probably because he doesn't think Dan Quinn will take his job, or like, less likely to, because <laughs> he's not friends with Jerry Jones. Um, and we all know Jerry Jones picks his friends as, as head coach. Uh, so yeah, for Dallas, like look there's a question over whether uh, Amari will be back but I believe CeeDee Lamb will definitely be back for this game so that was, that's a huge fill up for their offense apparently you know Jerry Jones is saying they're going to run the ball a lot with Zeke I don't really see that it makes sense he's hurt Tony Pollard is a really good running back and I think he can get stuff done um, albeit against the New Orleans uh, front that, that likely both of them will struggle a bit against uh, but for Dallas it's really about that past offense if they can get going um, if they have multiple weapons who, who and Lattimore can't just focus on one guy then I think they can get enough production and get this done against the New Orleans team which yeah they should get Mark Ingram back they might get Alvin Kamara back that would make a difference for them but there's just something a bit off with them with, with Trevor Simeon and now Taysom Hill it just feels like there's a cap on them and they're just losing a lot of these games that they could win so I expect it to be close enough uh, but for New Orleans just to lose out in, in the final moments. Taysom, Taysom Hill is not a starting quarterback caliber uh, quarterback in the NFL so I, I just I understand that Sean Payton likes him but I just don't see it at all. I really don't at all either. Yeah. But yeah, we, I think I think I had a, ch- a long chat with Fitz about this whenever he got his extension two weeks ago. But yeah, just 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 ridiculous. Next up, we have the Giants at Miami. Oh, Miami across the board, John. Yeah, an interesting game. I mean, I, I know it looks on paper like two kind of crappy teams, but the Dolphins have won like three or four games in a row and are competitive again and are looking very good on both sides of the ball. And that's probably what's going to be enough for them to win this game. Obviously, there are some issues I agree with Fizzle. I don't think Tua is... He's either been slowly phased out or they just don't know what to do with him because he doesn't seem to be trusted in important situations. I mean, that's kind of problematic for your supposedly franchise uh, quarterback. But Dolphins look very good defensively and offensively. They get enough things done. The problem with the Giants is their defense, as we talked about, looks quite good, but their offense still looks absolutely terrible. And if you're praying that Daniel Jones doesn't make mistakes every week, I mean, some weeks he's just going to make some mistakes. I would expect turnovers from from Danny Dimes in this game because that's what the Dolphins like to do. So yeah, Dolphins to win. And I think that's let's make it five in a row that they've won if that's the case. Uh, Indianapolis at Houston. You have Indianapolis across the board. Look, they have been, they've got Taylor. They probably will have learned, even if they won't admit to us, that they shouldn't go away from him like they did beforehand. Run the damn ball! Run the damn ball. <laughs> Houston don't have very good run defense. The one kind of weeks, the, the one week spark, which I said at the time wasn't actually that good. It was just that had one or two kind of highlight real plays in it of Tyrod is just not really all that good for them. They're at home, but like, I don't see how this Houston team is going to outmatch this Indianapolis team. Now, that said, this is famous words for, as I said, I don't trust this indie team, and I think Carson Wentz could fuck it up for them. So if they decide to just put the ball in Carson Wentz's hand the whole time, this could go the other direction. Yeah, we've got to gotta, gotta feel relatively safe with Indianapolis in that game. Arizona at Chicago is up next. So do we have confirmation that we've got the, the tiny terror coming back? We don't. They are hopeful that both he and the honor applicants be back. Obviously, they're coming off their bye. He's had a lot of time to rest up. Um, if he doesn't play, that will probably generate some questions about what's going on here. And of course, we did see at the end of last year that when he was playing hurt, he wasn't quite the same terror that he was uh, in the first half of last season either. So there are enough questions about Arizona that, you know, it's just it's interesting to see where they are coming out of this bye. Playing a Chicago defense that is pretty good. It's had some 
poor performances, but more often than not, it's been a good defense. So a bit of a challenge for them and for Arizona. It'll be interesting to see whether Arizona, with Kyler Murray straight up, decide to put them back into the air, like the air raid offense, is giving the ball a lot, let him do what he wants, or whether we see a lot more of like James Conner kind of going at them. And you know, whatever your opinions about James Conner within this scheme, where Arizona creates so much stress in the defense, creates like fairly light boxes, he has been effective, and I think they can get a win that way. So it'll be interesting to see whether they go choose to go that way or go with the more dynamic just throw the ball down like stress those cornerbacks and let uh, AJ Green DeAndre Hopkins Christian Kirk Rondale Moore pick up a bunch of yards for Chicago look they got a win last week that's nice get them back on the the W column but overall with Andy Dalton they're a safer offense less mistake prone but also you know there's just only so much you can do with Andy Dalton he's not going to create any plays for you he's only going to take what's given there and for an Arizona defense which you know was definitely better at the beginning of the year when they weren't so injured I think they're still good enough to make life difficult for Andy Dalton get a few mistakes and make you know hopefully get a few sharp short fields um, to get the Arizona offense back on track interesting random fact about this game this is the oldest rivalry in the NFL these are the only two franchises that had ex- that still exist that existed when the NFL was founded also the Arizona Cardinals used to be the Chicago Cardinals so this used to be a cross-city rivalry for a number of years so this is for the historians this is the big game this this is the, the purest <laughs> The NFL purist, this is the only game that really matters. Is this like the uh, the, the originalist interpretation of the NFL? Like, we'll get exactly, the Supreme yeah. Court involved here. They, they, should wear, like, they should wear like leather helmets. They should do it properly no. old school. Player safety first. You, put the, you have to get big leather helmets to go over the normal helmets. <laughs> yeah, so it's just more decorative. Minnesota at Detroit. We've gone for... No, we've gone from Minnesota. <laughs> uh, even even Sean doesn't Sean hate not, not going that far. Detroit. They're they're playing an incredibly conservative brand of football. They don't trust Jared Goff one bit. They're obviously missing DeAndre Swift probably for this game. I think it's more likely or not he'll be out. Jamal Williams will be fine. He'll probably have a pretty decent game, but Minnesota obviously have actual weapons. They have Justin Jefferson, they have Adam Thielen, Alexander Madison, the running back should be fine against this Detroit front. Um, so I think Minnesota can get back on track in a nice win. Yeah, it seems, seems like a fair look at it. Uh, Sean, Tampa Bay are taking on the might of the Atlanta Falcons. We've gone for Tampa Bay across the board. Yeah, I mean, numerous reasons why that the Bucs should win this game. They're the better team. They're in better form. The Falcons really suck. Tom Brady is Falcons kryptonite and they will fall at his feet just by the very <laughs> sight of him. I mean, it's going to be very difficult to see how, how the Falcons can keep pace with a, with a Bucs offense. It's probably going to score a lot of points here. And if the Falcons can't run the ball, they're going to have a lot of problems as well on the offensive side. So I would expect the Bucs to be quite comfortable here. But with the NFL, you never know. But I would be very surprised if the Falcons can manage a, w- a way to win this game. No, of course. Uh, next up, we have Roland's pick of the week, and it's a tasty one. The LA Chargers are traveling all the way out to Ohio to take on the Cincinnati Bengals. These are teams that throughout the season we kind of vacillate very quickly back and forth on whether they're contenders or pretenders. I think on balance we, we've been more uh, contender than pretender with Cincinnati and perhaps more, well I've probably been more contender on Chargers but I think on average the podcast hasn't been as invested in the Chargers and of course Cincinnati are the team in form they're at home um, and Joe Mixon has been absolutely on fire he absolutely dominated the Pittsburgh front which is no slouch and he goes go against the Chargers front which is one of the worst in the league against the run and that's despite the fact they've been better 
better in recent weeks, but it feels like they've been kind of cheating to make that happen. They've been stacking the box more, uh, relying, kind of leaving their defensive backs more on the island, and they're getting exposed because of that. So it just feels like with the Chargers, they can't have it both ways. They can either stop the run or they can stop the pass. They're not capable of doing either. And even when they try to stop the run, oftentimes they, they don't really succeed that much. So I think for Cincinnati, it's an interesting to see them go back and forth throughout the season, starting the season early, making the run game the focus of the team and having some okay success, not great early on. Then in the middle of the season, obviously those huge gains for Jamar Chase, beating up uh, on, on, on on Pittsburgh, um, having ex- like back and forth with teams like Baltimore. But in recent weeks now, reverting back to the Mixon first offense, but having a lot more success with it, getting over 100 yards for Mixon's multiple game, getting touchdowns. He's getting touchdowns in nearly every game, but he's now getting over 100 yards to go with that as well on the ground. And it's kind of turned him into a really tough team to play because you know that if you do stack the box and try to stop them that you can't stop all of Tyler Boyd uh, and Higgins and Jamar Chase that Burrow probably can have those big games they have so it's just been good to see Cincinnati be more solid on offense and combine that with a defense which after a, f- a bit of a flutter a few weeks ago seems to be getting back on track and being solid and against the Chargers I think you know if they can keep the game ahead of them and not give up too many explosive plays to Eckler and Allen and Williams and kind of just like, make them slice and dice them down the field kind of use what teams to be using against teams like Dallas and Kansas City the Chargers basically have the same problem if you take away the explosive plays for Herbert they're immediately or offense they're prone to making mistakes and turnovers eventually and they can kind of you know slowly grind them out that way and Cincinnati don't have that problem with mixing being on fire so much for the Chargers like I think you know that that's the template that's what I probably expect to happen but obviously we know that Justin Herbert can have huge games that he can win games single-handedly and of course as someone who believes in Justin Herbert I'd like to see more of those weeks but as I said I do have worries that the offensive scheme that they're running this this year doesn't really seem to be it's really boring isn't it like they they, uh, what's your man's name again Joe Lombardi yeah, it feels like at times he's trying to turn Justin Herbert into Drew Brees, like late, late Drew Brees. Like yeah. it's like it's doesn't make sense. Dunk and nothing too exciting. And like I, I, I was watching a bit of a deep dive thing about was it two weeks ago the protection stuff that they were running on the offensive line and how basically they don't seem to know what they're meant to be doing in protection so they're just running slide protection the whole time like that just it doesn't fly at this level to be fair they've had some injuries on the offensive line though uh, which have made those things even worse like yeah. Senio Calamente is playing in the interior and he was just an open door all game last week so obviously they're hoping to get Matt Filer back I'm not sure where the, his status is but yeah if the offensive line is healthy maybe they can get back on track doesn't feel like it's a, an offense that's taking full advantage of the fact that they have Justin Herbert a guy who can make uh, big plays at will if they if they have the right guy if they had Andy Reid in there or something like that but right now it just feels like they're trying too much and there's certain things they're just they're not doing that that doesn't make sense like they're not using Keenan Allen enough in the slot they're putting him out wide too much like if you put him in the slot on option right it's basically impossible to stop Keenan Allen but they refused to do that and it kind of doesn't make sense because they had like um, Michael Thomas in New Orleans with Joe Lombardi he was willing to kind of do stuff with him but it just feels like yeah, it doesn't seem to be gelling for them in year one. And the defense under Brandon Staley hasn't really been where they expected to be, given some of the talented players they have, like Bosa and Derwin James. And yeah, just overall, the Chargers, very disappointing. Um, but I think, you know, given the talent they have, they have a chance to upset Cincinnati. But, you know, since the other form team, I think you have to take them at home. Yeah, and obviously, as we said, look, there's the wild card hunt and even the division hunt for that one is wide open so they kind of they've still got everything to play for next up Philadelphia at the New York Jets me and Fitz have gone for Philly and Sean's gone for the Jets this is a uh, not a great game the Jets won last week but you know they were able to, to kind of edge past a fairly poor Texans team the Eagles have been hit or miss and uh, recently some 
bits more of missing. But like, if they just establish the run game, they should be able to do this. The Jets are banged up. They run still... the damn ball. That's just, run, just it. run the damn ball. Run like, it. When you're when you're <laughs> when you're the load off section of the league, you can just if you can win by running the fucking ball. Philly should definitely be able to get back to that against this Jets defense. It really hasn't got much going for it. Jets are still missing the the, the rookie running back Carter. Elijah Moore's there and stuff, but like. It just doesn't feel like there's much going for the Jets at the moment, whereas Philly at least are kind of there's a little bit more excitement there, and we've seen them be able to be more explosive, even if they went away from that strategy last week. Next up, Washington football team at the Vegas Raiders. Me and Sean have gone for Vegas, and Fitz has gone for the Washington football team. Sean, you said earlier in the reviews that you find this Vegas team a bit more interesting that you reckon that they might they're kind of fixing some of their issues and maybe turning things around is that what this is based on or is it that you're not really buying this washington resurgence yes i trust the raiders a bit more than i trust washington i've seen the raiders play well a lot of times this season they haven't always gotten the results they've needed and they've had a couple of bad ones but they they are a team that has a very high kind of kind of floor they generally will play to a certain level and then i mean there's a certain band they play in and i think that's a pretty high one and i think Derek carr is on good form and with deshaun jackson i think they've got their long ball option back which opens up their offense an awful lot and i i think their defense is actually quite good i think their front seven is, is scary they've got a good aggression about them and it's such like but when i look at washington i just i don't trust them i see taylor heineke and i know he's capable of playing good fo- uh playing well and having good form and i know when he plays the box he plays lights out but he's also capable of playing really really terribly um he he can be a turnover machine he can be a mistakes machine washington just haven't convinced me at any time that i've watched them this season as being anything other than a very mediocre team i just think the raiders are a better team and i I think that's why they will take this game like obviously i picked washington as a surprising this year and they've been surprised me over the last three weeks since they came off the bye with that win against tampa bay and a couple other wins there's something they're very mercurial like they're not a team that you look at them and go oh this makes sense that like they're playing to some plan but they're a team that i think you know, overall, I just kind of, I think they're interesting to watch. They're intriguing. And they're just one that with trainer Heineke, he has that fits magic about them. That kind of, on any given play, something big could happen. He's someone who plays fearless. He doesn't, he simply, simply doesn't care about what will happen to him. He's obviously got that backup profile, you know, kind of going around the league and getting his start and kind of can't believe his luck probably. And he's been making plays. And I think, you know, for me, the big thing about Washington is that Antonio Gibson is getting back. He's been dealing with a shin injury all year, but it seems like coming out of the bye he finally got healthy he finally got going he was effective even against that uh, Tampa Bay front uh, a few weeks ago and he was he's getting over 100 yards now and I think they have a recipe for success and even the defense which was absolutely terrible for the first like two months of the season is starting to make plays it's starting to hold teams in check and we know that that's a team that has defensive players that are incredibly talented but maybe they're finally figuring out what to do with them even when they lose some against like you know you think of a guy like Landon Collins who was absolutely terrible for them in safety and busted coverage all the time They've moved him to linebacker, and he's been a revelation there, being aggressive, getting his nose downfield, and making big plays. So Vegas, on the other hand, I just I don't trust them at all. I think that they got lucky against Dallas, a team which was missing its wide receivers, which gave them a bunch of free plays uh, in terms of deep plays um, that were easy enough for Carr, uh, either getting the PIs or the deep plays to Deshaun Jackson. They got a bunch of flags, Dallas. So I'm not willing to trust Vegas. I think what we saw over the last month of them falling apart is closer to who they are, and I think Washington's defense is good enough to prevent those easy plays to Deshaun Jackson, and they, uh, Washington can grind out another big win here. So I've gone with the Raiders in this one, but it is also that thing of, I don't really trust either of these teams. I'm basically kind of going on the basis of, okay, 
one of them is traveling, one of them's not. Like Washington, who have their wins been against? The Buccaneers win was great, but that felt more like the the Bucks not turning up. Like, okay, so they edged past. No offense, but like a real shit Seahawks team. They sneak past a fairly shit Panthers team who were missing most of their good players at the time. Like, I'm not sure I rank this Washington team at all. So I'll take the ones that went like for 30 something points recently rather than and, and are at home, I think, in that situation. But yeah, I wouldn't trust either of these teams. And I wouldn't imagine this to be a very enjoyable game to watch, to be honest. Next up, San Fran at Seattle. You've, we've all gone for San Fran. Seattle, like, their defense is playing all right, so I don't expect this to be, uh, like, a shootout by any stretch, but Seattle's offense is completely missing in action. Russell Wilson's not on the same page as receivers. There seems to be a lot of bad blood in, in the kind of organization as a whole at the moment, and San Francisco, even without Devo Samuel, I think they'll run the ball down Seattle's throat. They'll be pretty effective, like, maybe four yards a carry. Not, like, destructive, but but fine, and they can grind out this game. But, yeah, Seattle right now, I can't trust them to win any game, so we'll have to pick Cincinnati. Yeah, Baltimore-Pittsburgh battle in the AFC North. This is going to be, like we said, the Baltimore have been, we've gone for Baltimore across the, the board on this. Like we said, look, the, as you said, Sean, they're, they're winning games, although nothing seems to be overly spectacular so far. Pittsburgh are a little bit in the tailspin, although they do tend to play their AFC North rivals pretty hard, and they don't tend to do back-to-back super big losses, and they had one last week. But it is just that thing of, it's an anemic offense. It's a defense that has a lot of good players on it, but it's clearly exploitable. I'm not sure if this Baltimore team sets up fantastically to exploit some of the holes in the way that Cincy did, but like they've got a good ring run game. They'll probably look at the tape and see some of the bits that were ran against Pittsburgh that might work for them. It's hard to see past Baltimore here, but I could well see this not being a high-scoring one. We could get another kind of Ravens-Browns game here where it ends up being 16-10 or whatever. But the Ravens, as I've said, they kind of proven themselves that when the chips are down, they know how to win games. If Lamar has enough, he has two or three big plays in him in every game, and that's enough to get them over the end line because their defense is good enough to hold down the other side. So, I mean, I trust the Ravens on both sides of the ball to get things done. With the Steelers, I mean, their offense is non-existent, right? I mean, Big Ben is 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 not even past it. He's so far past that he's basically in a retirement home already. And the team he looks completely lost without that kind of leadership. This is a team that could this could be the season where Tomlin's I never had a losing season record falls to bits because I don't see how they're going to win four more games. That was my, uh, this uh, that season. Was my preseason prediction. Woo. No, no, um, Sean, that's not allowed to happen. They are the great <laughs> hope for the eight, eight and one season. That is their destiny. And well, that would tell also me maintain... how they're going to get to eight wins, Fitz. I mean, that's my well, problem. It's like, gonna... I want to see them go eight, eight, and one. But the... well, they, no. they, they can beat the Vikings. They can beat the Titans. They can beat the Browns. That would uh... be a real. That'd be a real question for the algorithm because how do the Vikings play against a team that's <laughs> eight, eight, and one? Oh, and, and they win... tie. Two ties in a season. Oh yes, yes. The, the Vikings Steelers game, which is uh, next week. Um, if that ends in a tie, that would be perfect. But actually, no. <laughs> it would ruin. It would ruin the Steelers symmetry. But I would probably take Vikings symmetry over Steelers symmetry. Continue with the actual analysis, um, Sean. Yeah. So their offense is non-existent, and their defense is good. But I think they're missing some pieces at the moment. That they're not quite at the level that they were earlier in the season. And they kind of go up and down. I mean, if if the Bengals get forty points against you, your defense isn't actually that good at the end of the day. So yeah, I just there's no reason to trust the Steelers. It'll be these teams are big rivals and it will be there'll be at least one punch up in this game and there'll be tons of penalties and it'll be ugly. But I just can't see how the Steelers are actually going to win a game against a team that is better than them and who knows how to win games even when they're not playing well. Yeah, and try one of your other receivers, Lamar. Like, you know, Mark <laughs> Andrews is not everyone on what, the What other receivers? <laughs> 
we got Jacksonville at the Rams. Sean, we've gone for the Rams. Is it even worth discussing? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the Rams are, are flat-track bullies. They only beat bad teams, but the Jags are a pretty damn bad team, and they should run away from them. The Jags season, they looked at a moment there where they looked like the season might be going somewhere when they beat the Bills, but it hasn't gone anywhere since then. And I, interesting to see the Trevor Lawrence may not actually be good stories have started to come out already, that the, the chatter is, is this guy actually... Uh, worthy of the hype um, as I predicted that it might happen so yeah the Rams surely to God the Rams can beat this team because they they will put up a big score and Stafford will be like oh I'm back everything's fantastic as long as I don't throw random interceptions against good teams everything will be fine but yeah pretty much next up's my pick of the week uh, Denver at Kansas City we've gone for Kansas City across the board in this it should be a very interesting one to see whoa whoa Connor you're saying that Denver actually have a chance I wasn't expecting that you just shit in the Denver for 10 minutes no no, no. Like, the, the, the thing is, I don't think it generally, but they do have this weird kind of like Jekyll and Hyde combo of like, you know, they'll come out and absolutely stomp the Cowboys or like stomp the Chargers and then in between like lose to the Eagles or like scrape past like, or actually not even like lose to the Browns, scrape past the, 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 the Washington football team. So like, I, you never know which one is going to come out, but what they do have is an incredibly well-stacked defense. We saw it against the Chargers and what like what's the issue that the Chiefs have been having this year is that their offense hasn't really been getting going. Our defense is good, but I also don't massively rank the Broncos' offense. So I think it's going to come down to do they have the kind of defensive personnel that can cause issues for Kansas City's offense? I think they do because I think they ran a very similar defensive scheme against the Chargers last week that people have been finding success in the league against Mahomes this year with the two high safeties and kind of forcing them to slowly work down the, the, the thing. So we might see a lot more of Clyde Edwards-Hilaire in the run game in this game. The Chiefs' defense will be very interesting to see against his offense as well because they're a little bit undermanned in one or two areas like at, at defense back but the defensive line rotation has been doing great stuff of late and they'll really be able to put pressure on Teddy we could kind of go and shit on them all we want but like they're a game back like that's all, that's all they are yeah. in, 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 in the standings the entirety of the AFC West is just a game behind so this is this is an important game I think it'll be very interesting to see how uh, like I said how their, how their defense matches up against us whether or not there's been because what I'm looking for at the moment is I'm looking for movement on the Chiefs offense I want to see that kind of take another step forward and we might see that we might not as I say was it this is the first game that matters only, only games after uh, Thanksgiving actually matter right and Andy Reid coming off a bye usually he's pretty good off the bye pretty good yeah and Um, I think for me that's that's like obviously this is a close game a tense game I think that's what we're expecting Denver's defense is pretty good but their offense obviously isn't explosive enough to win any kind of shootouts and we know Kansas City's offense if it's not been figured out has generally been slowed down significantly let's just say you know you know reflecting that there's a decent chance you might see more CEH but Hope springs eternal that perhaps the Chiefs with the bye, Andy Reid goes back to the cookbook, he breaks down all what all these defences has, he has a bit extra time to get all that down. Maybe we start to see the the reimagination, the evolution of the Kansas City offense, and they start manufacturing ways to get those big plays again. I don't know if that's likely to happen, like maybe there's more fundamental things that have happened, but against the Vic Fangio defense in Denver, which is very solid and and obviously plays that kind of too high shell anyway, it's a really big chance to see if that is gonna happen down the stretch and how afraid we all should be of the Kansas City Chiefs uh, when we get to January yeah I'd imagine they would be at the moment but uh, as I said it's all very close um, so yeah no I think I, I, I would expect Chiefs to win but it's a divisional game and Denver do kind of have good tools to kind of take on where we're currently still weak so I'm just interested to see how the development happens on that our Monday Night Football is Sean's pick of the week and this is a 
beast of a game. If we said four weeks ago that we were picking across the board that New England travelling to Buffalo we'd be picking New England across the board. I think we wouldn't have believed ourselves. But here we are. And uh, Sean, tell us tell us a bit about this and how you're going to seize. This is two games now in a row that the winner of these games will then take the uh, take the lead in their division. This is the big one. I mean, the first of two big ones. Obviously, they, they play the Bills again in, I think, three weeks' time uh, on the other side of a bye and the Colts game. But this is the this is the barometer. The, for the long time, the, pet, the Pats have been the Bills' barometer. Are we as good as the Pats? Can we get over the Pats? And last season, they finally did manage to put an end to the, the dominance of the AFC East and, and take control of that division. And they looked like they would be the big dogs for a very long time. And yet, here we are. Uh, and the the Pats are half a game ahead, and this is a huge game for both sides. Not just in terms of, of I mean, it is in terms of topping the division, but also it probably end up being probably the number two seed, or depending on how well the Chiefs do, uh, uh, you know, the three seed. So it's it's a huge game all round. Obviously, the Pats are on massive form, six in a row now. I think they've won, and the defense, as, as I've been talking about, has been playing lights out. The offense, there's still some problems with execution in the red zone, but but generally speaking, Mac Jones is coming into himself. Um, players like Kendrick Bourne uh, and the the tight ends are playing a lot better. They've even got a couple of functioning running backs now, so it's looking good for the Pats in terms of that. For the Bills, I mean, it's less so, right? This is a team that on paper should be probably the best team in the AFC, but they're just not getting it done. The defense is quite good but the loss of Tredavious White is obviously going to hurt them an awful lot in terms of that explosiveness in the secondary they've still got a lot of good other pieces so interesting to see how good the Bills are post Tredavious White's injury on the offensive side though this is where the problems are going I think they've been figured out a little bit like the Chiefs have been figured out if you take away the big the long plays if you take away the Allen to Diggs plays you take away an awful lot of what the Bills can do to hurt you and because the Bills don't really have a running game aside from Josh Allen their short passing game isn't quite necessarily as developed as say the the paths in their peak would have been they don't really have a way to adjust to that so the question is can the bills overcome the fact that teams are starting to figure them out and move forward and they're going to be playing against a, a team that has the best coach in the nfl the best defensive coach in the nfl and a guy who's been studying the buffalo bills for the past 25 years and is, is i bet dying and belgic is dying for the chance to kill josh allen um so this could be a very interesting <laughs> game on that side of the ball so both sides of the ball can be fascinating can and the Buffalo are the Buffalo Bills defense good enough uh, without Tredavious White to tackle what is not a, what which is a decent but not fantastic Pats offense and what this huge matchup can the the Bills offense which is misfiring find a way past uh, the defensive maestro of Bill Belichick and and will will Stefan Diggs end up having nothing thrown to him all all game which is quite possible um, that could happen and to, to announce that the Pats are back in the dynasty was only taking a break. It isn't over, and we've got another 20 years of dominance ahead of us, uh, which would be very interesting to see. But, I mean, at, at the very least, yeah, I don't think we're going... I don't think the Pats are going to win the Super Bowl or anything, but interesting to see if they can get to maybe 11, 12 wins uh, and a good run in the playoffs. And they get, to, they get to run into this team as well. As, as You know, there'll be much said about how they've kind of hit a couple of teams like the Titans stuff whenever they're on their downsweep. But play, it plays very well to have their top cornerback out now to kind of, you know, make it a little bit easier on the on the, on the the rookie passer. Yes, yeah, there's a lot, lot of nice nice little small breaks happening in that could, could push it over. But it's also like, because this is, you play them twice in three weeks here as well. So like, this could be a big kind of who can adjust, who who needs to adjust and what has to happen. It's psychological as well. If the Pats go into the Bills building and win, 
then suddenly the Bills' inferiority complex is, is back and the Pats can go on and dominate. But if the Bills can get the win, then they're back in control of the division and they are back as being a big dog. So it's a very big psychological battle as well. Who wins this game specifically in in, in setting up the game in three weeks' time? That, that aspect is probably why I expect New England, even if they start winning this game, to be absolutely ruthless to... to truly try and bully Buffalo out of this game if they didn't get away with it. I was kind of surprised at the Tennessee game and I thought they might do that more to Tennessee given their position but similar to what they did to the Jets earlier this year in terms of not taking the foot off the pedal no matter how much they went ahead um, I think New England will be uh, violent they will be unforgiving uncompromising and Buffalo you know for a team bit like the Rams uh, this year who we feel has maybe been a little bit soft particularly you know the defense has had some really good gains but they feel like they've got a little bit of a, a weak underbelly that you might see a lot of Ramondre Stevenson a lot of Damian Harris just like chug it right through them bully them off the field probably would like probably the weather would be like a bit of snow is, is expected but not not oh, huge yeah. snow but just make their life difficult and show them like hey you got the the new fancy offense that was all 2020 but 2021 is all about the run and we're about to run all over you so yeah, I, I, you know, I think New England, the form they're in, the, the, like the, obviously the coaching advantage they have, even over McDermott, who I rate, just, just feels like, yeah, it was a once-off and the Empire is going to strike back. It's set up nicely if that one works out. But yeah, no, uh, any other crack with yourselves? Has any plans for the for the weekend or anything? I'm going to a wedding on Thursday, which Ooh, is the first exciting. wedding I've been to since COVID started, so that'll be interesting. I think we're being kicked out at 12 or half 12, which is going to make it a very strange wedding altogether. But, uh, I feel like being at a UK wedding, they all close at that time as well, which is always weird. I think we're planning to, to stock up on booze beforehand and continue the party <laughs> until the uh, the uh, porters start banging on, on the hotel room door at 4 o'clock in the morning. Don't let Stephen Donnelly hear the podcast. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Weddings are fine to attend, just children aren't safe or something oh, yeah. like that. That's normally what it stands on. <laughs> well, all, they can only come to the wedding if they're not going to the panto, all right? Yeah. yeah. The children. Uh, but then they're not allowed playdates until they see Santa. What about yourself? It's any any plan? Nothing uh, too exciting. I think next week there'll be like our Christmas dinner. It's been kind of pared back a lot. It's been moved forward a week, so that'll be interesting. I think it'll gonna be tied up with. Hey, we did a new release. Isn't that great? Everyone's happy. So that's the only thing really keeping up. And then yeah, for this weekend, probably just watching the old uh, sports and be interesting to see. I think the new Man United manager, inter manager Ragnick, um, isn't expected to be uh, there mid midweek this week uh, against Arsenal on Thursday, but uh, is expected to dug out on on Sunday. So I'm interested to see what the the new Man United culture will look like under the uh, the kind of well respected. In, in, in football soccer uh, to, to those American listeners. Uh, I'm betting good. Sancho and Van der Beek are, are having massive parties right now. Yeah, and as I said, I got uh, tickets for the OTT wrestling on Saturday with a couple of mates of ours. And no, apart from that, nothing nothing too major. I imagine I'll just be back to doing a lump of work in the house whenever we're able to get access to it again and just repainting stuff and, you know, hoping uh, that everything works again. That'll be good. <laughs> yeah, I suppose for now that'll wrap us up for this week. So it's uh, bye for myself, bye from Roman. Bye. Bye from Sean. Bye. This is all for the Thanks for listening. We'll chat to you.